Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, and freedom, and everything else in between, with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. It is Friday, the 4th of February. My name is Paul LeFevre. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn, and we're here for another episode of the Pinelander Podcast. Today we have a guest speaker. He is NC Scout from American Partisan, another Ranger buddy that we have from another undisclosed location deep within Pineland. So it's our pleasure to bring him on today, and uh, we have a special place in our heart for him because he's the guy who actually got us started in the Pinelander podcast. So before we even have this guy talk, we have to just acknowledge that and give him honor for that. Or or you can blame him, okay? If this yeah. podcast is really bad, <laughs> it's his fault. Yes. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks. It's, it's an honor to be here with you, and uh, it's certainly an honor to have you. Uh, on Radio Contra back in episode 97. And uh, hey, the credit is all y'all's. Your natural is on the microphone. So, um, you know, I, I'm just glad that, that you are sharing your knowledge and wisdom in a, in a, in a podcast format and, and really getting your wisdom out there because it's, it's direly needed. Well, it's kind of, you know, I just, I'm just thinking back to that, that event and, um, you know, I mean, Paul and I, we had no idea what to expect. We're just, yeah. you know, we'd never been on a podcast before. We'd never been um, on any type of media event or anything like that. And uh, and it really, you know, you made it easy. You made it, uh, we felt very comfortable. Um, I mean, I certainly had a great time. And, you know, I was kind of worried about Paul because I kind of dragged him up there. And uh, it was a long drive and what have you after being invited to come up. And then, uh you know, it's funny because as soon as we got done with the podcast, um, we know more has gotten the the vehicle, you know, and said our goodbyes as, as Paul was like, man, we're going to do that. And I was like, what? Yeah, Paul yeah, says, yeah, we're going to have a podcast. Yeah. So, you know, he, he really caught the bug. And that, and, and, and that's that was really based, you know, based off of your professionalism and kind of yeah, uh, just showing us that it could be done. And it, and it really wasn't, you know, that tough. You just had to be willing to do it and, and uh and have something to talk about, something of interest. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank y'all, thank y'all. And uh, you know, I, I'm honored to be here. I'm glad to see this thing get off the ground, man. It's gonna be awesome. Hey, uh, I also want to just thank you about um, really bringing to light one of the books that I wrote, uh, Iron Sharpening Iron, back in 2015, and I. Honestly, I just kind of forgot it exists in, uh, some days. Uh, and so that uh, for you having those kind words that you had uh, about the book and then able to share uh, how the book, uh, anything that I have ever wrote 
uh, help somebody in any way, I think that was awesome. So that kind of made my year. So I just want to appreciate you for that, too. Yeah, that was a solid man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, But, you know, I I give a shout out to that on every podcast um, because it is, and I do consider it a foundational text. You know, we have to, as, as Christians, as patriots, as warriors, um, you know, we have to be grounded in something. And I think, you know, as, as we talked about off air, um, that day that we recorded that podcast, you know, there, there's a big disconnect, I think, between being a Christian, being a Christian patriot, and then everything else that we see happening in in this world it one of the i think one of the contemporary problems of being an american and and, uh you know to to speak to that conversation that we had is that lack of foundational awareness that lack Mm. of foundational uh faith that intersection of where your faith intertwines with with being an american and and Mm. understanding where they all come together and you know that that book is very very important for a large number of reasons uh it kept me sane through kind of a rough moment in my life um and and i think that it 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 should be required reading for anybody else out there that considers themselves of like mind and really needs to reconcile ideas of you know well you know, you're a Christian, but how do you reconcile training for violence? And how do you rationalize that? And and really, that book provides a lot of biblical answers that I, I think are, are lost in a lot of other places. Well, that was, you know, that was really interesting because, um, you know, I called you as it was, it was just a cold knock. You know, it was, uh, I, I was, I, you know, I dialed the phone. I tried to, you know, I reached out to you. I can't remember if it was email or whatever, but. You know, I reached out to you, and I was just like, uh, you know, you had a you know very popular website. You know, I don't know how many thousands of people that that uh, listen to your podcast and what have you, and visit the site all the time. But you know, we were we're just an upstart, small you know publishing company, and uh, you know, I was trying to introduce you know us to you, and uh, and I, you know, and I'm convinced that God put our you know had our paths meet because you know it's kind of crazy as you're like. You're like Paul the Favor, and I'm like, uh, yeah, that's that's my partner. He goes, well, well, I've got his book, and I was like, what? You know, what are the chances of that? I mean, we've been in business for, you know, not not very long at all. I mean, it's it's not like it's on the New York Times bestseller list, but you know, what's the chances of me just calling somebody out of the blue and 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 them having you know a copy of of Paul's book? And and that really, you know, for us, it was just like, okay, guy, I got the right guy. You know, we're we're gonna be fine here, and. uh, yeah, you immediately kind of understood where we were coming from, and you know, it's kind of been a, a pretty, you know, a fruitful relationship from then on. Amen. Hey, also, uh, for our listeners, uh, you, you want to pay attention to American Partisan. It's uh, AmericanPartisan.org, uh, and this is NC Scout's uh, platform. So there are tons of uh, podcasts. I'm looking at one that's 100, number 122, uh, and it's entitled um, Why the Kazakh Color Revolution Failed and How Oath Keepers Signal Group 
got rolled up. And uh, so one of the things that, um, if, in, unless you have been under a rock for the last 10 or 20 years, you know that there's a lot of uh, activity going on, a lot of resurgent activity in the East, namely with uh, Putin, with Russia. And uh, uh, NC Scout just happens to be, uh, I, don't, I don't know of an expert in this area, but I would say well-versed. And uh, that was something that uh, I was really interested in, in talking to you about is uh, anything along those lines. Maybe you could share with us something that you, that you uh, highlighted in your podcast on uh, Kazakh and uh, what Russia is doing there. Absolutely. Um, so with the, the idea of the color revolution, so in defining terms, the color revolution, the, the concept was piloted by Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, some of the listeners probably know who Mika Brzezinski is, uh, newscaster on MSNBC. But anyway, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski was her dad. He was uh, the foreign policy advisor and uh, under uh, Jimmy Carter specifically, but he's been around in, in Democrat Party circles uh, for a really long time previous to that and then uh, administrations after that. And he's had a lot of pull with foreign policy. He's credited with the, the concept of the color revolution. And this came out of the Frankfurt School of uh, Social Sciences, which is uh, kind of a, a Marxist-derived school. Yeah. But what they did was they came up with a scheme of maneuver where you're creating the illusion of mass discontent and it is aimed at youth groups because you know you, you're going to have the youth get out there in the streets a lot more you're going to be more successful at that than you are uh say you know getting older guys out there in their 40s 50s whatever that that are um kind of set in their ways and have careers and basically have something to lose so you're going to get your your youth out there and it's creating this idea, whether it is real or imagined, that you have popular discontent. Now, simultaneously to this happening, you've already gassed with certain other social factors. Um, if anybody wants to get a refresher on what those are, I highly suggest you look up the insurgency pyramid. Uh, there's two versions that you're going to find, the 1966 version and the 2015 version that was in some of the uh, Eris counterinsurgency publications. Um, these are really, really good resources on building in underground and how, you, you know, you don't really want to skip steps in that pyramid because it's all building up to open conflict. Well, what the color revolution sought to do is to overthrow governments in favor of uh, the installation of a more favorable government and in doing so creating this thing called regional hegemony. Mm. Now, we experienced this in, uh, or we exploited this idea in the late 1980s, early 1990s, in overthrowing the governments of the satellite republics of, of the Soviet Union, um, you know, Poland, Romania, uh, Hungary, each one of those, uh, the Czech Republic, was Czechoslovakia at the time. Um, you know, it, and it always began in similar ways. You would have underground publications that would be 
um, put out there. You know, your, your psyops types would be putting that stuff out there. And it was targeting specific groups for uh, dissatisfaction with the government and, and the governing entity. It was pretty successful. The program was pretty successful. You know, East Germany, we saw the Berlin Wall coming down. That was a type of color revolution. And it was a playbook that we would revisit for the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring, if you go back and you look at the footage from different places, if you look at uh, Tunis and Tunisia, the early uh, street revolts that were happening there, the ones that were happening in Cairo and Tahir Square, the ones that were happening in uh, Benghazi and Tripoli and Libya, the ones that were happening um, all over Syria, Damascus specifically. And you always had them juxtapose uh, the youth, the popular youth movements that were out there. They were shooting fireworks at the security establishment, which we could say, you know, law enforcement or military or however uh, that infrastructure is protected for internal defense in those countries, they all followed a similar pattern. And we saw that here in the United States, too, with the Black Lives Matter protests and, and a lot of things the left has been doing over the past um, seven years or so. And it goes back a little bit further than that. But in the past seven years, we've seen all of it. Well, this brings us to Ukraine. With the Euromaidan protests, with um, the growing dissatisfaction that was seemingly manufactured out of thin air, of course, we know now uh, that Biden and many other actors inside of the government establishment had a lot of investment in Burisma specifically. Yeah. Um, they were getting money and, and back channel funding out of that, and that was knocking on the Russians' doorstep uh, with Putin. So when you're talking about interfering in the economics of an entire region, which is exactly what happened, you're going to have some conflict that's going to arise out of it because that's just the way that it goes. Well, you know, we know that that region is once more in contest and that, you know, the, the uh, negotiations between uh, the Russian Federation and NATO and the United States are, are kind of at an impasse right now regarding the involvement in Ukraine. And all of a sudden, you have this color revolution spring up seemingly overnight in Kazakhstan. And Kazakhstan is traditionally a very strong partner of the Russian Federation. Uh, a lot of the Russian Federation's uh, space capabilities are housed there. Um, it's uh, a big producer of a lot of mineral resources as well. And all of a sudden, you have this giant color revolution that just springs up overnight. Nobody saw it coming, or at least so they say. And you have the Western media that's cheerleading it on. And just like that, just as quickly as it pops up, it fails. And the reason that it failed is because, just like with the, the same playbook that we've been following with the Arab Spring, we were heavily reliant on social media to foment this stuff. That's just the facts. Yeah. And when, when you do that, when you only rely on social media to create a dissident movement and to network a dissident movement, the linchpin, the inherent weakness is right there. It's staring you in the face. And the Russians are very, very adept at analyzing networks, analyzing uh, traffic, and utilizing social, me uh, social media network analytics 
to figure out who the bad actors really were. And they went in and they rolled them up, and, and that was pretty quick. So the whole thing fell flat on its face simply because they were playing around a little too much on social media. I mean, really, the moral of this is kind of like what a lot of us know, and that's, you know, to live by technology is to die by technology. I mean, if you you really have to go, if you want to be successful in a campaign like this, an asymmetric uh, environment, don't you have to go old school? I mean, don't you have to stay off the Internet? Don't you have to stay off some of these platforms and make these guys actually whip out the paper and, and stub your pencil? I would think so. I, that you know, that that's my opinion. And when I run classes, that's the the thing that I hammer home in everything that I teach is that nothing replaces the basics. Nothing replaces the basics of tradecraft. No, you know, there's like encryption, for example, encryption over a radio. I teach guys in it, the advanced RTO course to use trigrams and one-time pad when it comes to encrypting sensitive messages. The reason for that, the trigrams are difficult enough to break if you don't have a key. The one-time pad, you're not going to break. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to do that. It's very time-consuming. It takes brain power. And guys are like, yeah, but what about all this electronic encryption and stuff? Well, there's a time and a place for that, too, at the tactical level. But when you're talking about strategic level communications, things of sensitive, the utmost sensitive nature, you need to be doing it the old school way. And the same applies to this topic right here. If, you know, something that I pointed out in the podcast about the color revolution, the reason that they succeeded back in the days before we had the conventional internet and social media is that everything was done in person. And you had actual handlers who were meeting with the dissident actors who were actually going to be taking it into the street. So a counterintelligence or a domestic security force would have to actually do the legwork, the real detective work, to try and beat that insurgency. And that took time. By the time that they were on top of this thing, there were already guys who were burning stuff down in the streets. And, and you would have a very hard time rolling that network up but when you're only relying on social media because that's all you know well you, you're going to end up with what they ended up with and and you know there's there's no replacement for old school there's no replacement for doing it the hard way if you want to make lasting change hey uh i i wanted to go back to something you were talking about earlier with uh, really a, something that a question that came to my mind when you're talking about Kazakhstan and then also uh, Ukraine is I'm kind of put I'm obviously anyone with a brain can kind of connect the dots here. Uh, you mentioned regional uh, hegemony, but is uh, well, how would you connect the dots with Kazakhstan, Ukraine and say that this is uh, part of a larger Russian strategy? Uh, I mean, I remember uh, I think everyone is read history and knows about it, knows, remembers how uh, Khrushchev uh, announced uh, National Wars of Liberation and how that uh, they would take their brand of government, communism, and then uh, kind of uh, take over these wimpy nations. Uh, I mean, do you see this as a uh, resurgence of that, of like a National Wars of Liberation? Yes. Okay. And 
to dive deeper into what Khrushchev was talking about, just to understand the larger picture that that the Soviets were making at the time. And one of the things, one of the points that they were bringing up was a economic system that was not reliant on capitalism, that was not reliant on capitalist powers, and they sought to overthrow it. That was their goal. And that they they changed things a bit. Putin obviously changed things a bit. He was a member of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union for sure. Right. But Putin is also a staunch Russian nationalist. He realizes that you have to get rid of American hegemony yeah. in order to replace it with something more favorable to Eastern interests. That's something that the Russians have sought to do. That's the whole the crux of the friction with NATO. So a lot of the a lot of the people who are critical of NATO will fall into the Russian narrative. A lot of people who are critical of the Russian narrative will fall into uh, the NATO camp. The thing that needs to be understood is that the real cause for an impasse here, one of one of the biggest causes for an impasse here, is the fact that there, whenever Whenever NATO makes a concession, whenever they sit back and say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll make a concession to this, if you give Putin an inch, he's going to take a mile. Yeah. That's a fact. That That is exactly what he does. Now, you know, the same could be said for any leader who's looking out for the interests of their people, but you got to understand in the big picture, Putin, along with his ruling political party, which he's been in power for about two decades now, going on two decades, they were seeking to rebuild the glory of the Soviet Union. Right. There was a piece that was run a few years ago, and I'm trying to remember who did it. It might have been on Vice, but I'm not 100% on that, where they were following some of the, uh, the pro-Russian separatists in the Euromaidan region uh, in Ukraine. And, I mean, these guys worship Stalin. They have murals to Stalin painted all over everything. And, and it's not necessarily because they're hardline communists. It's that they looked at Joseph Stalin as kind of the, the father of their contemporary nation, the same way that, you know, in the same context that we look at George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, they look at that the same way. This was a strong man. He was in charge of, of Russia when Russia was strong, and we want to rebuild that. If you look at some of the rhetoric that comes out of uh, the Night Wolves Motorcycle Club, which is uh, kind of the Russia's answer, the Russian Federation's answer to the Hells Angels, I guess, would be kind of a, an, an analogy of these guys. But that's their ideological lead. He's hey, Joseph Stalin. Hey, on, on that, uh, and that's... I mean that's you're, you're spot on uh, with uh, so the question with Ukraine are, are the uh, are we looking is it uh, Putin's uh, idea just to keep Ukraine out of NATO and just to destabilize uh, Ob the oblast of uh, Luhansk and uh, Donetsk and and the, so the the big goal is just to keep them out of NATO or uh, was it a failed invasion and it was supposed to uh, you know supposed to go down like Crimea. Well, let me add. Let me let me add just something just for you to think about too. It, yeah, I look at this a couple of different ways. Number one, I'm, I understand Putin's got some some ambition here, 
But it seems to me like we've got some Western leaders that are also kind of wanting to egg on a little bit of a fight because I think uh, they recognize Putin as a as somebody who's standing in the way of kind of the direction they want to go as globalists. Right. No, 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 that's exactly right. Um, I, I concur with that. And I would say also that uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily call it a failed invasion rather than it, it right. ground to a halt. Right. It, in, in the Donbass region, it ground to a halt because there's a, there's a limit. Well, there was a couple of things happening. And ironically, we were talking about social media, and this, this absolutely applies to it, is there, there's kind of a limit to the amount of, uh, let's say, we'll say plausibly, plausibly deniable things that you can do as a nation state. And when you have guys who are, uh, you know, active duty airborne troops and your VDV guys, they're, come, they're, they're taking leave from active duty and all of a sudden they're showing up in Donbass. Mm. I mean, come on. They, you know, they, and, and social media, ironically, uh, I've made the comment in the past kind of jokingly that there's no real thing as tradecraft anymore. There's no real thing as, as OPSEC anymore either. And these guys, you know, the same is true, the same challenges for uh, uh, the Russians as well as the Chinese apply to us because, or, or that apply to us also apply to them, rather, because they had their troops getting on Twitter, getting on Facebook, getting on uh, a couple of the native social media sites that, uh, that the Russians have that are run through Yandex. Uh, Yandex is kind of Russia's answer to Google. I forgot what those two platforms are called, but anyway, these, these guys are Russian military dudes, and they're, they're on the social media platform saying like, oh yeah, you know, here we are in, in Donbass, kind of telling the world, and of course, all, you know, our people are sucking all that up like a vacuum for the exploitative value there, and so they're, they're looking at it. Um, there, there's only so much you can do before it becomes too in your face to the global community as to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, so I don't know if I would call it a, a failed invasion so much as it, it kind of, the jig was up, so to speak. They couldn't really, uh, they, they couldn't really hide what they were doing anymore. The overt support, came to a halt, that ground to a halt. There, there were some other issues that were, that were kind of bubbling up. Um, but now, now they kind of had an impasse. And, you know, it, it's, I don't want to say that the, the Cold War, quote-unquote, is reignited, but it definitely, there's definitely big things playing a part. You've got to remember, too, and this is already out of the, the mainstream media narrative, and they, they're not even talking about this, but the Russians permanently stationed uh, one squadron of their blackjack bombers in Caracas, Venezuela. They stuck an S-400 battery just outside of Havana, Cuba, as well. And this coincided with the timeline that they backed out of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. So, you know, any of the listeners can go back and look this timeline up specifically of when they did all of this stuff. It's not like they're not parking things on our border, too, because they've been doing it for a while. 
it's just that it's just now coming back out that these things are happening. And they even, uh, you know, when, when I was down in Florida uh, teaching the RTO course, the, the advanced RTO, the Citizens Intelligence course, one of the news stories that broke was that Russia had planned on uh, garrisoning a whole infantry brigade in Caracas, Venezuela. Wow. And that, that was kind of their warning to NATO. And you talk about Caracas, Venezuela, that's only a few hours flight from Miami. Right. Hey, uh, just to, I know I don't want to belabor the Ukraine thing, but uh, it was in the news for uh, forever. I just wanted to get your take on this. Uh, the whole uh, Burisma, Hunter Biden, the laptop, Steele dossier, all that stuff. Maybe you could just, just give us your opinion on that. Well, it's corruption. I mean, plain, plain and simple, it's corruption. The sad state of affairs that is all of that. I mean, you know, I'm not the kind of person that thinks that, that politicians should not have international business dealings. I know a lot of people do. And, you know, as a conservative and as a liberty-minded American, I, I, I demand uh, honesty from our political leaders. And, and But above all, accountability. And so... You know, while we we all have that ability to do business, that capacity for corruption always exists. And when it occurs, there should absolutely be accountability. And so yeah. far, from what I've seen, there hasn't been any. And that's that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest thing for me is not the fact that business dealings were done by government officials there. I mean, we live in a capitalist society. We live in a society where everybody, you know, should be out to make money. I mean, praise God for that. Amen, <laughs> amen. But, but at the same time, when you have such an indiscriminate level of corruption that we see, and I mean, the you know, the the laptop, I, I fear, is really the tip of the iceberg because we really don't know what we don't know about it. Yeah. But we do know that where there's smoke, there's fire. There's yeah. something going on, and it looks bad on its face. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, one it's uh, probably uh, every bit that bad, maybe worse. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's the main uh, support for term limits. I mean, you can't keep these people up there in the swamp too long. I mean, uh, if you you know if you send a guy into a bar with a bunch of hot chicks, you know, eventually he's going to lose some self discipline. And that's basically right. what we're doing with these politicians. We're like, yeah, man, come on in. You don't have a drink, you know. And we're taking this guy, and we're just – he's surrounded by temptation. And, right. uh, you know, and, and, and Biden, my, I don't know, how long has he been up there in Washington, D.C.? I mean, has he done anything but Washington, D.C.? Yeah, 45 years. I mean, this yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's ridiculous for Americans to – to you know, I'm I, you know it's gotten so bad, right? I'm almost like feeling sorry for Biden. I mean, it, the guy. I just look at this dude and I, this feeble joke of an old man, yeah. and and he's just being <laughs> he's just being yeah. used. It's like, will someone let yeah. this guy go home and and relax? You know, yeah. right. this 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 old. He is a joke. The guy can't even walk upstairs. He has no idea where he's at. He doesn't have no idea what he's talking about. He he he, he slurs his speech, and and. and well, and, and and he's not a good man. I mean, you know, he's up there forever. He's he's bribed and made all his money and everything else. But I mean, is this what we're creating? Is this what we want? I mean, let's send somebody up there. Let them certainly you know, actually be a public servant. 
do six years, whatever they're going to do, and then go home and make money. Well, and we need a strong man again, too. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't have somebody like Biden who you know every world leader looks at him and knows he's bought and paid. For him. I mean, yeah, all all of the all the 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 arguments about you know the, the allegations that the election was fraudulent and everything, which are you know absolutely one hundred percent founded in reality. Yeah. But even all of that notwithstanding, the man is obviously correct. I mean, there's, there's so much evidence of that. You can't stand in front of the world community and be an honest broker. I mean, look at Afghanistan. You know, you guys fought in Afghanistan. I fought in Afghanistan. Look at how we pulled out of there. You know, if, if any, you know, we send guys in gain favor with a local populace of a partner nation for whatever reason that you know we have to be there they're not going to want to work with us from now on they're not going to want to work with us because they're going to look at it like well how long are you going to be here and are you just going to leave us high and dry like you did in afghanistan you know like you did with every other group that, that you've worked with and the thing is is that they, again with biden there's no accountability there's no accountability for anything that he did or continues to do, and uh, it, when when you compare that to a leader like Putin, for all of Putin's failings, I mean, he, you know, he kills everybody who's a, a critic of, of his administration, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's it's it, it, it's kind of a you know, he he's got a lot of earmarks of a desperate, you know, a, a old KGB strongman, right? Because that's exactly what he is. But at the same time. That is a guy that if you sat across from the negotiating table with, you knew you were dealing with somebody that you couldn't pull the wool off. With Biden, you know he's bought and paid for. You know he's corrupt. And he doesn't stand on any sort of morality. I mean, they, they, even the thing is, even the Democrats are saying that now. They, he, well, he, he doesn't seem to stand for anything. And so that's why he's got such a, a severe erosion of support uh, there as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm no fan. I'm, I'm no fan of Putin, but I mean, you know, just the casual observer, okay, looking at Putin and looking at Biden, you know, one has to say that Putin looks like he's actually looking out for the interest of his country. I mean, he looks like he's all about, you know, uh, make Russia great again. And, uh, right. and you look at Biden and he looks like, you know, he's all about making Joe great again. I mean, uh, <laughs> Right. I, I mean, if you look at the history of these guys and if you look at their, you know, their actions, I mean, Joe Biden looks like he's all about Joe Biden. And Putin, exactly. you know, and I'm not saying Putin is not enriching himself because I'm sure he probably is just like every other politician. But uh, I do think he has a love for his country and he's and he's wanting to uh, uh, do what's in the best interest of Russia. Yes. No, I, I would agree. Well, what do you think is going to happen with Ukraine? I mean, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, people are betting now on whether there's going to be an invasion or if it's in everyone's best interest to kind of keep the status quo. Or, you know, what what does the crystal ball tell you? I pray, I pray that there is not a ground invasion of Ukraine. That they, I, I think the the best solution that can be achieved is a political one. 
is that you have uh, representation. Democracy, democracy and, and federalism work best when they are there to deter wars. When you give enough people a voice and an alternative, at least they have a stake in representation. Um, because that's that's the real uh, that would be the real diffusing of the situation. I think when when you have uh, the people who at least have a, an equal stake in things. Um, however, you know what I hope for and what I pray for and, and what are going to occur are two very different things. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, we, we each know that there are probably ground attack plans for Ukraine right now, uh, that, that are being drawn up, that have been drawn up and rehearsed on both sides. I think that this whole Kazakhstan debacle was something to get Russia's eye off the ball to pull their most elite troops away to deal with a counterinsurgency. It failed. Uh, I think that, that Kazakhstan was designed to be a much longer insurgency in Russia's backyard than, than what it ended up being. And I would also look, very interestingly, uh, I would keep my eye on the Caucasus as well. So Chechnya, Dagestan, um, Azerbaijan, for sure, I, I would think that uh, the issues with the Azeris and the Armenians might flare up again because Russia intervened in that conflict as well on, on part of the Armenians. So I, I would look for all of that to start flaring up to try and get them to, to turn their attention away from Ukraine. But I, I don't think it's going to work in the long term. Hey, um, uh, and uh, Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so... I mean, in light of the political clout that we uh, lost on the world stage uh, with a debacle in Afghanistan, uh, when we have, uh, you know, our president, uh, our, uh, any of our politicians, any of the uh, Department of Defense, Secretary of Defense saying that the, you know, repercussions will be severe. Um, I mean, what do, you, what do you make of that? I mean, how, I mean, basically it would just be more sanctions. But... Right. Uh, I mean, what else would we really have? It seems like, I guess where I'm going is, it seems like we've egged them on uh, because we've yeah. showed our ass. Pardon my expression. Uh, we, it was no, so bad. bad. Uh, we just, uh, you know, just put steel into their spines. That's just my take. No, I, and I agree completely. I, I think uh, we, we've lost so much credibility. Yeah. And NATO, NATO's going to have a tough time. I mean, we, you know, well, the, the American military is going to have a tough time when facing down the Russians. I mean, you, you got, I mean, for anybody who's listening to this, and, you know, obviously we're going to have a lot of vets who are listening to this who are going to concur, but to the, the casual listeners that, you know, haven't, who aren't really initiated into that world, I, I'll just point you to the recruiting commercials. The U.S. Army had a recruiting commercial not that long ago. That's a cartoon with you know Sally has two mommies and that's that makes Sally strong or whatever BS. Yeah. Right. This is this is a bunch of crap. Right. You've got you know you've got people who aren't meeting the standards. You've got these vaccine mandates now that that are you know the Supreme Court upheld the mandates for federal employees, which includes Dot Mill, 
you know. So we don't know what the, the second and third order effects of those are going to be. We've had all of this uncovering of, you know, the, the potential dangers um, that, you know, our, our, our pilots are figuring this out now. Flight surgeons are coming out. They, they, you know, they're saying, you know, our recommendation is to at least ground training for now until we can figure out what the long-term effects are going to be among aviators. You know, you're talking about your most fit population out there now that's going to be subjected to vaccine mandate on top of all the other political nonsense that they've been subjected to. Our armed forces are in bad shape. Um, you know, and, and you compare that reality to what the Russians are doing. You, know, you see their recruiting commercials. You can look these up. They're on yeah. YouTube. You can look up their recruiting commercials. They're appealing to masculinity, appealing to strength. All stuff that we used to do yeah. not that long ago. We used yeah. to do all this. And now all of a sudden, right. don't. We, we get a bunch of liberals in charge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs when uh, we have woke garbage. And uh, that's the agenda, uh, to be as woke as we can, to go uh, drive the clown car left. Uh, and so all it steers is left and the brake is, uh, is broken. That's just that's where yep. we're going. And, yeah, how does that breed excellence? How does that breed, uh, you know, everything that when we joined the armed forces, that's what it was all about. Close with, destroy the enemy, uh, yep. uh, execution of the mission. That was, you know, paramount, not how woke can we be. How sensitive can we be? Yeah, absolutely. That's not how we win wars. That's how we are annihilated. Yeah, that's how you decimate a military. Yeah, that's how we become slaves. Yeah. Uh, well, thank goodness. Air, evidently, air superiority is not important anymore. Um, I mean, the fact that we're sitting around watching, you know, you can hardly watch a sporting event with, without watching some sort of athlete, you know, grabbing his chest or being carried off the field, you know, from some sort of a cardiac issue or whether it be myocarditis or whatever, or complaining about breathing. Um, yeah, that's what we do. Let's give all the pilots this thing. Uh, you know, cause I mean, no big deal. I mean, right. If the guy on the tennis court is having a problem, obviously the pilot could have the problem. I mean, that's not a big deal, right? If the plane just kind of falls out of the, out of the sky. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what the plan is here. I mean, is it, is this some like you know deviant method of trying to get rid of all pilots and having like you know some computer you know fly these things around everywhere now? I, you know, it, it could be, it, but I, I tend to err on the the side of just human arrogance and and the fact that we have a uh, humans have a ridiculously great uh, ability to destroy everything we touch and ruin stuff and quit fast and in a hurry. Um, I don't think, personally, I don't think, and I never have thought that it was some sort of grand design to, like, burn everything down, necessarily. It's just one bad decision after another. You know, like, the, the vaccine mandates were, were uh, imposed by people who stood to make the most amount of money off it. And so they put it in, not really caring what the second and third order effects might even be. And so now we, we, we see where we are, and we're kind of like, like a toddler with a book of matches. Mm. We just set the house on fire, and we didn't even know what we were doing when we did it. And now we're kind of looking back at it like, uh-oh, we probably shouldn't have done that. Well, and I think, uh, and so, I think, you're, and I think you're right. It's to look back now that, you know, I can... Yeah. I mean, when this thing first came out, I mean, I didn't, I didn't fault anybody for running down there and you know wanting to get, you know, grandma vaccinated. 
Um, we're, we're just a lot smarter now. Um, how anybody in it, with a clear conscience can can take their ten year old kid and stand them in line and get jabbed now, knowing what we don't know, and and knowing what we do know today, I have no clue. Is I, I don't know if this is the same parent that uh, you know takes Junior to a drag you know drag queen story time or, or what you know, but. You know, we got we got like a parent issue going on here too. We got a, a common sense issue going on here, uh, but I am I am seriously worried about the effects of this vaccine mandate on our armed forces, especially when uh, you know it doesn't look like the world's getting any any calmer. Yeah, right. And and that's just one factor. I mean, you know, when we talk about women in combat arms, mm-hmm. you know, that's that that's a non-starter. I mean, that, that's always been an answer. If you look at any effective fighting force in history, regardless of nation, okay, the, the only examples of where you had women who were actually frontline combatants and doing things were for propaganda value. And that came from the Soviet Union. They were using that because they literally did not have enough uh, military-age males to supplant their manpower needs so they were using females, and that was propaganda value. They had the, the female slamper battalion. It was propaganda value. The Kurds do the same thing with, with the YPG, um, same, same playbook that they use. But when you look at any healthy society on Earth, you know, kind of drawn on, on the sociological end of things, whenever you look at a healthy society, not putting your daughters out there, on, you know, they, they certainly wouldn't put them out there in the front line. But even going past that, you know, is, is the average female going to be able to drag you out of a firefight? No. Oh, yeah, absolutely probably, not. Probably absolutely not. not. Yeah. Not the average. And we, and uh, this was foisted on us too. And we watched it all happen at a front row seat for uh, this really long train wreck that's happening. And uh, yeah, the st- standards lowering. Uh, and we all know that that the standards were lowered in Ranger School. They were, right. and and uh, yeah. uh, one of the biggest things that chapped my butt is watching that happen and having buddies that worked out there as our eyes and telling me how they were grading one of the ladies and how they were just asked to step aside because somebody from HQ had just swooped in to take care uh, take things from there. Absolutely. Yep. So yeah, it's just. Uh, uh, I it, think heard that story. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad uh, state of affairs, and, and that's yeah. So when you have women that are uh, you know blown to smithereens and body bags, uh, and I mean that's what does that say to a, about a nation that does that? Takes its mothers and daughters and just throws them into a sausage grinder. What does that say right. about the males here? That's not, how we value yeah, our women. I mean, not too much. I mean, yeah. Uh, but you know that's what we're that's kind of what we're um, rearing now. I mean, uh, it used to be. Um, I think you could find a certain percentage of the population that was uh, conducive to military service. I mean, just a lot of these strong young men coming out of high schools all across the country. And I'm going to tell you right now, I would hate to be a recruiter right now and trying to find uh, that that pool, yeah. trying to pick from that pool that we have now because, I, you know, I – I don't have any studies to back it up, but I'm, you know, I, I don't think it takes a study. I think it, you know, observation, I could walk around and, and just say, man, I'm just not sure if there's enough 
uh, you know, pipe hitting young men out there to, to fill a, you know, the, the type of military that we need for this, for this size country and for what our obligations are. Why should, why shouldn't our enemies be emboldened? You know, uh, I mean, look at our track record. Why shouldn't they be emboldened when they see, like you said, our recruitment videos? Why shouldn't they be emboldened to, uh, you know, come to our shores? Absolutely. Let's look at the soft community. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the numbers are. I mean, uh, I've, I've heard some, you know, some numbers out there that concern me. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, uh, you know, up to maybe 25% of the soft community is, is saying, hey, you know, you can take that, that shot and stick it up your own butt. I'm out of here. Um, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't lose 25% of your soft community of your, of your greatest warriors and not think that that doesn't have an impact. Yeah. Right. I've got a friend out in uh, the West coast uh, with the uh, seals. Uh, we're talking hundreds of those guys that have uh, refused, rightfully refused. And uh, you're talking about gutting fighting forces. I mean, you can't just go out on the corner and round these guys up. You know, take somebody's a sign out of their hand that they'll work for food and then just fill these ranks of the soft, uh, these fighting forces that we have. So this is absolutely just gutting, uh, you know, our not only the, uh, you know, the fighters, the war fighters, but the fighting spirit, all those things. Right. Yeah. The, the morale, the institutional knowledge as well. Yeah. Because, you know, as both of you are extremely well aware, you can you can take a guy through the training pipeline, but even still, and it doesn't matter what the organization is, from, all the way from, you know, a, a, just a, a leg infantryman all the way up to, you know, coming out of the operator training course for, for Delta, for CAC. You know, that entire training pipeline once, once they finish the pipeline, they're still a basically trained member of that unit. They don't, they don't have the institutional wisdom that you get from the elders in that unit, guys that have been there for a few years who, you know, okay, we've got the book knowledge and you got what you learned in, in your preparatory course to be here. Now here's the, the tips and tricks that you didn't get. Now here's how we do it, or here's how you approach unique situations. You know, here's maybe the gaps that the doctrine doesn't fit. You know, and, and all these other skills, like you know, like here's what I learned at this course dealing with this enablement, right? Whatever it is, you know, the, the, the amount of tools through knowledge that somebody brings to a unit, you lose all of that. When you, you start talking about, you know, and just from a vaccine mandate, that's just one example. I know for a fact when uh, females started coming into the infantry as a whole and then started working their way into the, the South Pipeline, there was a lot of dudes who were like, no, nah, I'm not putting up with this now. And that was it. And so you took some of the, the, uh, some of the smartest guys from, you know, that, that had the most amount of combat experience and, and were super sharp loved to teach what, what they knew, had all the skill in the world, and all of a sudden, like, no, nah, I'm not putting up with this. I see this for what it is, and I'm out. And that yep. unit is a lot worse off because of that. Absolutely. On a positive note, because uh, <laughs> I mean, sometime or another, we got it. We have to, you know, there's a flip side of this thing. and Oh, yeah. 
you know, and, and there's some parts of me that, that uh, you know, you look around, you go, man, you know, can it get any worse? But you know what? Um, I think in the, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because there's just, I think there's a lot of people that have been extremely busy with their lives doing whatever they're doing, you know, working their jobs, raising their kids, blah, 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 that are now realizing that they've got to get involved, that th- this country has been going in a different direction and they don't have the luxury of just, you know, living their lives anymore. You know, they, they have really have got to take some ownership of, of their local government, their state government, be worrying about what the federal government's doing and getting involved and paying attention. And I think there's going to be a positive that comes out of that, just the the majority of Americans being involved in the direction that this country goes instead of just passing it off to a, a an elite group of people. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. That, that's a point that I continue to, to make on uh, the Radio Contra podcast and in class when I'm teaching and, uh, you know, on American Partisan, that I keep trying to hammer home the place that it's not hopeless. You just, this is your wake-up call that you need to get involved in local politics. And it's, it's a giant culture shock. I mean, the people had it too good for a little too long. And now they're seeing, now they're seeing the empty shelves. They're seeing the, hold on. Yeah, like you said, uh, they're counting on us uh, being stupid. They're counting on us being just sheepish and not getting involved in local and state government. They're counting on us, these people that have been in the swamp forever. They right. This is what they want. They want us to be in the pot as it gets warmed up and just get jabbed and do whatever, just do what I tell you. Uh, but that's the way to push back. That's the implications. We have to get involved or we'll watch this. We'll watch a really long train wreck. Yeah. And I mean, I think Americans, um, you know, they get sort of hypnotized thinking everything's federal, 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 yeah. federal, you know, sitting around. I mean, Oh my God, what is the Supreme court going to rule? I mean, Oh my right. goodness! It's like, dude, it's it's nine guys in black robes. Who cares? Um, America yeah, is uh, America is about think? local government. I mean, everything right. you know, the inalienable rights come from God to us and the individual, and then they flow up from us. And as they go up, they get weaker and weaker and weaker. We have the power right here as individuals, and you know I think Americans need to realize that that's where that's where it's at. It's yours. It's you that's know, a what, birthright too. It's yeah. What 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 are these schools teaching your kids? You know what are they doing down at the uh, in the you know the city council? Uh, what's the state government doing? Uh, if you control your local little community, um, you have nothing to worry about. It really doesn't matter what those clowns up in D.C. want to do. They can go ahead and barricade themselves up up there. It don't really matter. Man, and we're seeing evidence of that. I mean, I, I've stated in the past that's why the FBI, uh, Merrick Garland, who's been profiteering off all this critical waste nonsense, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that's his family business, is selling mm-hmm. books that is critical waste theory educational material, if you can even call it that. 
Yeah. But the larger point is, is that the FBI and the Department of Justice was so quick to label people going to uh, school board meetings concerned parents as quote-unquote domestic terrorists. The reason that they did that is that recognition, that yeah. localism, and the involvement in local politics. People are, are they've had enough, and they're getting fed up with this stuff to the point that they're saying, you know, nah, this is not going to happen. We're done here. We're not even arguing yeah. the point anymore. We're just telling you, you're not going to do this anymore. You're not going to abuse the population. You're not going to abuse our kids anymore. And that yeah. scares them. That's, That's a very, very scary thing to the power structure. Very positive sign, as you said. Hey, and uh, one thing I wanted to also get at you there, uh, NC Scout, is just a kind of a shout out to some of the classes that you offer. Uh, and I just for our listeners, I know you have uh, a lot of your go-to classes, but could you just tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, so uh, the first class that I put together, uh, the very first one that I'm kind of known for is the RTO course, Radio Telephone Operators course, because, you know, me coming from my background as a trigger puller, um, when I got out of the Army, I was looking for, you know, the civilian side answers to all the equipment that you know, I used when I was in, when I was in Iraq or in Afghanistan, and I really wasn't coming up with an easy answer. Um, so I put together a course after, you know, kind of doing my own searching around and looking for stuff. There really wasn't anybody that was offering that base of knowledge like that either where it came to, uh, you know, improvising antenna building and seeding a popular with communications capability and figuring out how to do that. And that's exactly where uh, I began with that course is, you know, recognize communications capability in an area, create that capability, foment that, um, and really a train-the-trainer perspective in it, too, where, you know, okay, you're taking basic skills, and now you can replicate them with a group of people. Advanced RTO, we build on that. Um, I deal a lot with encryption, how to encode and encrypt messages, how to send them via data bursts, uh, some of the options that are available out there. Kind of in a uh, getting into the more unconventional warfare in of things, how, how you would operate in that in a clandestine environment if you had to. Signals intelligence schools, kind of the opposite. Uh, the, the other side of the coin, if you will, how uh, networks are intercepted, how you do radio direction finding on the ground, how you implement uh, scanners, communications receivers, SDRs, all that equipment, how to get all of that set up and how to get up to speed on that as well. Uh, I've got the scout course, which is a three-day small unit tactics course. The first day is uh, basic rifle marksmanship, and I get everybody out to 450 meters on my range up here. And then uh, I've got a few training sites across the U.S. where we go to as well. I'm going to be out in Texas in March, mm. and then uh, we're going to be doing it out there. We've got a 500-meter range out there just outside of Dallas. And then I'm going to be uh, – in Washington State, out in uh, the Yakima area, doing it out there. And we've got a 500-meter uh, range out there as well. 
So, um, you know, a lot of opportunities for that force. First day is basic rifle marksmanship, getting you out to that far with your rifles. And I get everybody out to shooting to that distance. Uh, we make it very, very simple because everybody has the ability to do that. They just don't necessarily realize it. Uh, I've had everybody from, you know, young studs, that, you know, 18 years old, get ready to go into the military or, uh, you know, just wanting to be trained up and, and, you know, they're super hot on their skills, all the way up to a 62-year-old grandma that I had in class. That, you know, she was just there to learn how to shoot. Nice. And she shot consistently well at 500 meters with an AR that she had never even touched before which I was really, really proud of, uh, really proud of her. She's one of my big success stories. But small unit tactics, um, you know, day two, day three, basic ambushing, uh, both day and night. We run some stalking lanes, how to camouflage your equipment yourselves, how to move quietly in your environment as a team, uh, running immediate action drills. And then, um, you know, conducting ambushes. And then on day three, you'll be planning a patrol and conducting a raid. And do a lot of stuff with blank fire as well. So, you know, guys are, are really getting the full effect out there. Blank fire and adapters and, you know, all, all of the fun stuff, uh, you know, stuff that we used to do in the field, having a really good time and, and learning a whole lot in the process as well. I really love teaching the scout course. Because, um, you know, you're out in the field with everybody for, for three days straight, both day and night, and you just see all of the learning. Mm. It's such a cool experience. Well, Matt, we, we know you're, you know, busy. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, we we had to kind of get you scheduled even for this event because, you know, you're, 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 you're a traveling man. And, uh, you know, you always got a lot of commitments from all over the country as, as these courses are. Uh, but hey, we appreciate you taking some time out today. Uh, and for anyone interested in, in taking uh, one of Matt's classes, uh, you can go to AmericanPartisan.org. Uh, he's got a list of courses that uh, he offers. Uh, great guy. Uh, that's all I can tell you. I mean, if you if you look at the reviews uh, for NC Scout, you'll see that uh, you know people just really like his teaching method. He's he's just down to earth. He's uh, you know he talks your language. He talks at your level and. Uh, you know, his satisfaction is is you understanding the material and being proficient at the uh, at the material what he's teaching. Yeah, I would just add that uh, uh, not only that, but the training venue is beautiful. It's one of the more uh, more picturesque, beautiful parts of uh, North Carolina. I'm sure your other training areas are awesome too. And then uh, you get a chance to spend three days with an American warrior, somebody that's been there, done that, and has the T-shirt. Uh, somebody that has uh, red-blooded American blood just flowing through his veins. And then who wouldn't want to spend time with somebody like that? So, yeah, it's, it was an honor to have you on today. And uh, I know that uh, anybody, uh, for our listeners, going to the website, American Partisan, uh, there is a plethora of, I had to get that word in, of information, uh, excellent podcasts, uh, courses that are uh, available. Uh, so go there, go to American Partisan. Hey, brother, thank you for coming on today. Uh, God bless you and your business. God bless everything you're doing. Uh, it's all. It's always good to know that we have somebody cut from the same cut of cloth uh, that, and we know where you're at. Thanks, brother. 
Thank you. I, I was, I'm humbled to be here. I'm humbled by your kind words. Thank you very much. God bless you, bro.